0: Well, good morning, everyone. As Drew said, uh, my name is Mason Brown. I'm I'm one of the pastors here at Rio. I'm excited to be here with you this morning. Um, If you're connecting with us online or or joining us in person, we are glad that you're with us today. Uh, So today, we are going to continue in our series, Uh, He Gave Us Stories, where we've been looking at the parables of Jesus. And, And if you were with us at the beginning of this series, you might remember that we explained that in each of these stories, and Jesus has this life-transforming, paradigm-shifting, eternally powerful point to make, and he uses the power of story to make it. Why? Well, because he wants it to be made in the most powerful fashion possible in stories. What do they do? They, they capture our imagination. They, they draw us in. And many of us have experienced that firsthand. Uh, recently... Uh, My oldest son, Jaden, at night, has asked us not just to read him a book, uh, but to tell him a story, uh, specifically about Firefighter Jaden. And yes, the character's name is Jaden. I tried to change it to Marcus, but he was pretty adamant that his name should be Jaden, which I guess could cause some issues later down the road, since we are telling him a made-up story about himself, but we'll deal with that later, but nevertheless... As we tell him this story about firefighter Jaden, who, by the way, is the hero of Possumville, you see his imagination just come alive. I mean, he is, he is drawn in, so much so that he begins to anticipate what firefighter Jaden will do. I mean, will he save the cat that is stuck in the tree? I mean, I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll figure that out tonight. Uh, but the point is, is that there is something powerful about stories. They draw us in. And They disarm us. And they capture our imagination. And here is what happens within these stories that Jesus shares with us. And it's that this life-transforming, a paradigm-shifting, eternally powerful point that he's trying to make is made with us. Before we even realize that it's made with us. And it's made with us in such a way that cannot be unmade. Because by the time that we get to the end of the story... Our hearts have already bought in and agreed with everything that he has said, whether we like it or not. It's kind of, we get to the end of the story and it's like, okay, Jesus, you got me with that one. And so this morning, as we continue in our series, we're going to look at a story about two builders, one who builds his house on the rock and the other who builds his house on the sand. And while this may be a familiar story to some, it's an important story. It's a story that is filled with both warning and hope. And now I know you're, you're, you're probably aware of this, but home renovation shows right now are wildly popular. In fact, we have a, we have a whole channel, right, that's devoted to nothing but houses. We have tiny houses, we have selling houses, beach houses, fixer-uppers, and one of my favorite shows, uh, which is called Homes on Homes. And maybe you've seen it before, but it's about a contractor named Mike Holmes. And he comes to a home renovation project gone bad. Maybe you've been through one of these. I'm sorry if I'm bringing some PTSD back for you. Um, But in short, the the project is just not going how you want it to go. Maybe the contractor that you originally hired just doesn't show up. Uh, Maybe he quit halfway through. But it's just not going how you want it to go. And it starts to impact everything. Your, your, your finances, your, your family, and even your happiness. But then, might comes. And he comes, and he comes to make it right. He essentially, he comes in, and he, and he assesses the situation, and he corrects everything that has been going wrong. And he essentially, he rebuilds the house properly from the foundation up. And this morning, as we'll see, Jesus is going to compare living your life to building a home. And the question that he wants us to consider is, what are you building your life upon? And I want to encourage you to think about that for a moment. Uh, who or what system of belief is the basis, of the foundation of your life? Uh, over these past um, 20 or so months, what cracks, whether that be financial cracks or personal or relational or spiritual cracks... As a storm possibly revealed in regard to the foundation of your house, your life? And so this morning, as we dive into this familiar yet important story, Jesus is going to reveal to us that he doesn't just want to patch the cracks, but he wants to repair the foundation. He wants to repair that which your life is built upon so that when the storms come, And as we'll see, they will come. And as the cracks begin to expose themselves, your house, your life will not be shaken. Why? Because it was founded upon the rock. And so as we work through this story together, we're going to look at uh, two houses, a storm, and then the results. And we pick up our study in Matthew 7, and starting in verse 27, this is what it says everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And so here we have house number one, a house that has been built on the what? On the rock. And if we jump down to verse 26, we're presented with house number two and it says everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And, and so in this parable, we have the two builders and they build two separate houses. However, I want to encourage you to consider the similarities between these two houses. On the surface, from all indications, they look the same. They might even be identical. Same design, same paint, same aesthetic, same same materials. They're most likely listed on the MLS for roughly the same amount of money. They look very similar when the day is sunny, when the weather is dry, and when the wind is calm. But there's a great difference, isn't there? Beneath the surface, they couldn't be more different. One is built on the sand, and the other is built on the rock. And so what is Jesus doing here? Well, from the very beginning, he, he's urging his listeners, he's urging us to look beneath the surface and to recognize that is what is under the house is just as important, if not more important, as to what is in and around the house. He's basically teaching that you can have two houses, two people, side by side. And from an optics point of view, they can both look sturdy. They can both look strong and, and put together. But the reality between the two houses, the two people, is that one is strong and ready for the storm. While the other, as we'll see, is fragile. And will be devastated when the storm comes. But see, here's the thing. You won't be able to tell the difference until the storm comes. And we, we get that analogy that Jesus is using, right? I mean, the last time that you went to the beach, maybe it was last week or a couple years ago or a long time ago when you were a kid, uh, but maybe the last time that you went to the beach and you created that amazing sandcastle, the one that had multiple levels, maybe you even dug a moat around it. However, no matter how epic it was, It was eventually destroyed. It was demolished by the morning. Why? Well, because as the tide came in, or sometimes in our case, when the, when the tractors raked the beach, it was swept away as if it was never there since it had been built on the what? On the sand. And the people that Jesus was talking to would have understood this that much more. Back in that day, and Jesus most likely as he was sharing this story, as he was sharing this parable, he would have pointed over to a nearby valley known as a wadi. And a wadi is a dry riverbed that is positioned between two hills. And the wadi had this hard and dry um, and even kind of like sandy-like valley floor. And so at first glance, it would seem as if this hard, dry, sandy-like floor would be strong enough and, and sturdy enough to build your house directly upon it. And so someone new to the area might think, well, man, I, I'm not going to dig down the bedrock and secure my house to that. I mean, who knows how long that could take. I mean, I'm just going to build my, my house right here on this hard, dry, sandy-like floor. And to be fair, for about six months out of the year, that guy would have thought that he made the best decision of his life. Because unlike the other guy, Who's who's probably still he he's still digging down in the bedrock in order to build his house upon it. This guy, this guy who has built his house upon the sand, has probably had some some extra time to to create a beautiful garden. Maybe he even added a little koi pond and created the, the ultimate oasis in his backyard, so that when he came home from work, he could just put his feet up on the couch and have all of life's worries passing by. But see, here's the thing: a storm is coming. And the people that Jesus was talking to knew that. The wiser man knows that while the wadi had this hard, dry, sandy-like floor, and even though it appeared to be strong enough and, and sturdy enough to build your house directly upon it, the Middle East, which is still true today, is known for devastating flash floods. And, and so during the wet season, the other six months out of the year, they get close to, to 26 inches of rainfall in a very short period of time. And so all of a sudden, with no warning, it will begin to rain. And it's not a little drizzle. Because as it rains, the rain hits these hillsides and it, and it runs off and it pools towards the middle of these valleys and it creates this, this devastating flash flood that sweeps everything in the middle of these valleys away that doesn't have a foundation, that is anchored, that is secured, that is built upon the rock. And the listener, he, he knew this. I mean, Jesus' audience would have chuckled at the thought of even entertaining the idea of building their house upon the sand. It was foolish. And so the question is, well, what does it look like to build a house, a life, upon the rock? Because we don't have to guess, Jesus, he tells us explicitly what it should be. Look at the contrast that he makes between these two builders. In verse 24, he says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine. And I kind of want to stop there for a moment, because before we go any further, we need to ask the question well, whose words, and what were the words that were being said? And so Matthew, who's the author of this text, actually gives us those details a little bit earlier on in his book. And beginning in in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus, he he begins the Sermon on the Mount. And and throughout this sermon, Jesus has been talking about the king and his kingdom. And Jesus comes to us and he reveals to us that he's the long-awaited Messiah. He's the one who has come to make all things new. That he has come to fulfill the law on your behalf so that you, by faith, may be counted as righteous. And so throughout this sermon, Jesus, on the one hand, comes to us and reveals to us and says, look, this is who I am. But on the other hand, he begins to describe the life of a person who is so moved by Jesus, who is so moved by the one who willingly entered into this life and experienced the, the limitations and the, and the frustrations and even storms that come with it. I mean, one of the many names that scripture refers to Jesus as is man of sorrows. He willingly took on the complexities of this life when we didn't have to. Why? Well, because he so loved you. He lived the life that he that you couldn't live and he took your sin, your brokenness, your shame, your failures upon himself so that you would not have to bear it. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins, which is death, and he rose from the grave so that you can not just be forgiven and set free from your bondage to sin and death but so that you could be clothed in his righteousness. And he did all of this because of you. He he longs to have you. He yearns to be in a relationship with you so that you may not just experience the gift of life, life eternal, but so you may experience the gift of his presence. So that when the storms come, and as we'll see in a moment, they will come. You can be comforted, as we just sung earlier on in the service. You can be comforted by his presence knowing that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's already proven his faithfulness to you at the cross. You can, you can hold fast to the promises that the Lord has given to you to, in Jesus, that though you may experience trouble within this life, you can take heart for he has overcome the world. And so throughout this Sermon on the Mount, which by the way, it culminates with this story, the story of the two builders, and Jesus not only comes to us and reveals to us and saying, hey, this is who I am, but he's been describing the life of a person who by faith is so moved by Jesus and what he's done for them. that They don't just hear the words of Jesus, but they, by faith, begin to act upon them. They say, you know what, Jesus, I am am so moved by you that I'm gonna do what you say. I'm gonna allow your word, your gospel to infiltrate and transform not just my heart, but every aspect of my life. And Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and who, by faith, does them, not just some of them, but all of them, that it's, it's comprehensive, that does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And, and please note, Jesus is not saying here, he's not saying that our performance, our, our good deeds will uh, somehow dictate God's favor, his love towards us. Because as we know, that is the farthest thing from the truth. We are saved by grace through faith alone in Christ. I love how Dane Ortland, who's a fellow pastor, he, he puts it this way. He says, you don't need to unburden or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. Your very burden, your brokenness, your shame, your sin is what qualifies you to come. No payment is required. I love that. I feel like I need to put that in my bathroom mirror somewhere. God's disposition towards us is of one with open arms. It isn't our loveliness, it isn't our performance, it isn't our good deeds that wins his love, but it's our unloveliness. And so while we are saved solely by the radical grace of our Savior, whose arms are open wide, like this, well, to whom? Well, as it says in verse 24, everyone, Not just some people, but everyone who hears the words of Christ and who takes hold of them by faith, knowing that Christ has forgiven them of their sin, has clothed them in his righteousness and has reunited them with their father in heaven so they may experience the gift of life, life eternal. Okay, so part of the evidence of that actually happening or occurring within your real life revolves around what you do with Jesus's words. In other words, Christ in you, albeit imperfectly, eventually it produces Christ through you. Now listen to what James, the half-brother of Jesus says. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, will be blessed in his doing. See, what you, what you do with, with Jesus' words, the entirety of scripture, ultimately communicates whether or not you trust him. And if you don't trust him, the question becomes, is, well, do you really know him? Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, who who surrenders daily, who surrenders their heart, their life before him, and allows Christ and his word to shape and to form every building block of their house, of their life, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And so here we have house number one. But now notice the difference. In verse 26, we're presented with house number two. It says, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them. And yes, he he might admire the words of of Jesus. He might even revere the teachings of Jesus. But if he hasn't taken hold of them by faith and put them, or you can say demonstrated them, albeit imperfectly, into practice, Jesus says he'll be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And so we have these two houses, these two lives, and from the surface, though they might look the same, there is a great difference. There's a great faith difference between them, isn't there? And a storm will usually reveal that difference. You know, about seven years ago, my wife and I, we we purchased our first home together. And even though we knew that it was located in a flood zone, uh, we kind of just brushed it off as if it was no big deal, because one, what house in South Florida is not located in a flood zone? Uh, but then secondly, it was just the, it was the perfect house for us. We loved everything about it. However, a couple of years went by, and here comes Hurricane Irma. And even though I had a time to, to prepare for that storm, I mean, I'm that guy who's who's watching the weather channel constantly. Like, I'm not sleeping, just just pounding coffee, just watching everything, you no know I man. And so, even though I, I thought I had time to prepare for that storm, I mean, to such an extent that I not only put sandbags around all of my exterior doors, and I'm not just talking about a couple. I'm talking about like 30 to 40. Like, I was a hoarder of them. Okay, um, and so even though I put sandbags around all of my exterior doors. And even though I MacGyvered a trash can to catch the water that came off the valley of my roof and then it went into the trash can and I connected a PVC pipe to the bottom of that trash can to redirect the water away from my house and went to the other side of my property. And so I thought I was prepared. But see, here's the thing. When the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on my house, there was nothing that I could do. I mean, all of a sudden, water, and I'm not talking about a little bit about water, a lot of water started flowing up from the bottom of my bathtub. Water was, was coming out of my interior door jams in my house, and so you can imagine the panic that is going on in my mind right now. And, and I kid you not, after I used every towel known to man to try to squeegee the water off back into the sink, like, that would help. I mean, it's coming out of my tub. I pulled out my last offense. You know what that was? (laughs) I should have brought a Bible out. But it was a can of Flex Seal. And so I get down. I start spraying underneath the cracks of my door where the majority of the water was coming in. And while Flex Seal might make a boat float, Uh, it does not stop the waters from a storm from coming in. And I and I share that with you, because where you where you choose to build a house, it matters. And Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded because I had been anchored to the rock, which is Christ and his word. And then he continues on. He says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, who hasn't taken hold of them by faith, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell. And great was the fall of it. And so within this parable, we have at two houses, two builders, and they experience the exact same storm with the same set of circumstances. However, one has the foresight and considers the future, while the other doesn't. One is is a wise use of time and resources, while the other is a foolish use of time and resources. And at the end of the day, one is steady and strong, while the other implodes. You see, the truth of the matter is, is that we are all, when we think about it, we are all building a house, our lives, in a flood zone. And I think we all get that, right? I mean, one of the things that the Bible can't be knocked for is its forwardness in stating that in this life, you'll experience hardship. You, you will experience suffering. Why? Well, because we live in, in a fallen, broken world that exists of broken and fallen people, and sometimes it's because of our foolishness that we bring storms into our own lives. Sometimes we are the storm in, in other people's lives. And sometimes storms just fall upon us without any warning. And our natural tendency as the, as the cracks begin to expose themselves is to, is to blame the storm instead of looking at the foundation. We grab that can of Flex Seal and we we try to patch the crack. We think, oh man, only if I had more money or a better job or fill in the blank, then I would be happy or secure or be able to withstand this storm. But as we see within this parable, if your house, if your life is built on sand and not on the foundation of the rock, which is Christ and his word, you'll ultimately lose everything. If I am building the foundation of my life on romance, if if that is my true north, I'm forgetting that charm is deceitful and beauty is what? Beauty is fleeting. If I'm building my life on the foundation of career, I'm going to be replaced. Forgotten. Ecclesiastes chapter two applies to each and every one of us. What we toil for, We're going to pass it on to somebody else and we have no control over whether or not they're going to use it well or they're going to use it poorly. If I build on the foundation of family, there'll come a time that I will be separated from my children. They're going to move out. They're going to get married. I'm going to die. They're going to die. There will come a time where every spouse will be separated from their spouse. Alzheimer's happens, death happens, if I'm building on the recognition of being praised, of being remembered, it's a pretty sobering thought to think that in all likelihood none of my great-great-grandchildren will ever know my name, will ever hear of me. Thomas Merton, he put it this way. He says, Many people, they spend their whole lives climbing the ladder of success only to find once they reach the top that the latter is leaning against the wrong wall. You know, all these things I have just mentioned, romance, um, career, family, recognition, money, these are all beautiful. And I, and I really do mean that. Like I want to pause and say, these are all beautiful gifts that God lavishes upon us so we can actually have a very healthy, life-giving relationship with all of them. But wise people, who, have, who are building their foundation on the rock, understand that all of these things, as great as they might be, all of these things are signs and shadows, and Jesus is the substance. All of these things are pointers, and Jesus is the point. You know, in the end, we're all going to discover that the pursuit of love and romance was really our hearts crying out for the one who calls himself the bridegroom. Who is, a, who is a deep and, and everlasting affection, a dying affection, even a, a resurrected affection for his bride, uh, for his people. You know, every person in pursuit of love and romance is ultimately in pursuit of what only Jesus can truly give in an everlasting way. You know, every career pursuit is really underneath a longing for the well-done, good, and faithful servant. That Jesus will give to those who belong to him. You know, every family pursuit is a longing for for God as everlasting father. For the Holy Spirit as the comforter who comes alongside us like an affectionate mother. Where Jesus, who is both our big brother, who's not ashamed ever to call us his brothers and sisters, and also the bridegroom to the bride. Every longing for recognition is really deep down a longing for God's pronouncement. That I take great delight in you. That I rejoice over you as singing. And that though a mother may forget the nursing child at her breast, I will never forget you. And so here's the most terrifying thing. When we mistake the pointer for the point, when we mistake the signs and the shadows for the substance himself, which is Jesus, the most terrifying words that we could ever imagine hearing, is not depart from, it is, depart from me, uh, for, for I never knew you. It's not, depart from your spouse or your career or your money or your foundation of sin that you've built your life upon. That is not the words. The only true and devastating words will be, depart from me. Because in Jesus is the, is the fulfillment of every longing of every human heart. He willingly entered into this life and he took on life's greatest storm, death. Not only so that he could have you and you could have him and experience the gift of life, life eternal, but so that when the rain falls and the wind blows and they pound on you, you can stand, you you will stand, not because you are strong, but because you are standing on the rock, which is Christ. And when the waters of God's judgment come at Christ's return, you will not collapse. Why? Well, because the, water, the, the judgment of God was poured out on Jesus for you at the cross, who is in fact making all things new. He has promised us that there will one day be a new kingdom, a kingdom where there is no more mourning, no more pain, no more storms, and no more death. You see, the truth of the matter is, is we are all building a house, our lives, in a flood zone. And there's a present possibility and a future certainty that a storm will come. And so as we close, the first question that that Jesus kind of comes to us and he urges us to consider is what are you building your life upon? Think about that for a moment. What are you building your life upon? Are you you building your life on the rock, which is Christ and his word? Are you building your life on the sand? Have you come to a place where you have confessed before the Lord that you are not the rock, and where all these other things that you've tried to build your life upon will not just be swept away, but that they are ultimately signs and shadows of what Jesus alone is truly able to offer to each and every one of us, which is the gift of himself. He died so that when the storms of life come, we can, and they will come, that we can experience his eternal comfort, eternal peace, and eternal life, if you confess that before him. And secondly, as we, as we see within this parable, while we are saved by grace and grace alone, a part of the evidence of, of that taking place within your real life is that grace ultimately goes to work. In other words, Christ in you, albeit imperfectly, eventually produces Christ through you. And so as you survey your life, what areas do you need to surrender before the Lord as you allow his word to color and stain, not just parts of your life, those that are, that are convenient to, to surrender before him, but every aspect of who you are. What do, what do you need to surrender before the Lord? And then lastly, the reality is that uh, some of you, if not many of you, are going through some type of hardship, some type of storm, this very moment, where you're kind of batting down the, the hatches right now. And if that is you, I want to encourage you, first and foremost, man, surround yourself with other like-minded brothers and sisters in Christ who can pray for you and who can walk through that with you. And, and if you don't have that within your life, man, I want to encourage you, join one of our groups or, or come forward after the service and let us know how we can pray for you and walk through that with you. But most importantly, if you hear nothing else today, most importantly, I want to encourage you, if you are going through some type of storm right now, to dig deep into God's word. Starting tomorrow, jump into personal worship. Allow his word to wash over you. Take hold of the promises that the Lord has given you in Jesus, that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. That though your your soul clings to him, it is his right hand. It's not based on your strength. It is His right hand that upholds you, and that you can take great promise that though you may experience trouble within this life, you can take heart, that for He has overcome the world. Let's pray. God, we come before you uh, this morning, and we are thankful, Father, that Your uh, disposition towards us is of one with with open arms. And we pray, Father, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to see that, it, that in Jesus is the, is the fulfillment of every longing of, of every human heart here in this room. And then in turn, Father, as we, as we see that, and as we realize, would we then turn to you in faith? And God, we pray, Father, that we would then, we would uh, surrender, Father, our hearts and our lives before you and allow you to uh, build our life, Father, upon your word. So that when the rain comes and when the wind falls, we can stand confidently knowing that it is your hand, Father, that upholds us. Your present, which we're reminded by, your presence that is with us. And so, God, we pray that you would encourage us, that you would help us, Father, by the power of your spirit to look to you in faith. In your name we pray. Amen.